It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Summer, almost over. Kids are back to school. And as a mom of two teenage boys, I'm trying to be as proactive as I can when it comes to these important years in their relatively young lives. Electronic devices and social media are one of the biggest influences on our kids today. And I know this from experience. My guest today is a good friend of mine who I've gotten plenty of advice from over the years. And he's got a book out called Raising Healthy Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life. Tom Kirsting is here to give great advice when it comes to what's happening in this fast-changing world around us. He also highlights the impacts, in some cases very dangerous ones, that our phones and iPads can have on us and our kids. Tom is a nationally renowned psychotherapist, family therapist, and parenting expert, and he unpacks the unique challenges teens face today, including isolation from friends and family, increased screen time, and a steady stream of fear-based media. Okay, so he's going to help us make better decisions towards better mental health and a life of success I enjoyed my time with him, and I know you will, too. Even if you don't have kids, you are definitely going to learn something today. Please welcome Tom Kirsting on the Janice Dean Podcast. Tom, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, You and I have talked over the years. You've been a guest on Fox & Friends. You're always someone that's very approachable uh, when it comes to expertise about our kids. Yep. I try my best, Janice. (laughs) Tell me about your background. All right. So interesting. Right. So I came from a fantastic family. Um, my parents were married at 19 and 20. My dad went off to Vietnam. They had four kids by uh, 25 years old. Uh, so we grew up in a Catholic household, church every Sunday, no money. Uh, and we were outdoor outside constantly as kids. So I was raised by phenomenal parents. Mm. My dad had us work in side jobs with him since I'm five years old. So I was always developed a very strong work ethic. Um, you know, so they just raised us. I'm so grateful. And like my, as a parent, you know, when my son, my firstborn was born 20 years ago and my daughter, you know, my goal, um, I always said to myself, my goal is to be the kind of parents that my parents were. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, and I think that's where it kind of all begins, right? It's not to say that people that are raised by single parents or you have a difficult childhood, don't have the capability of becoming something great. That's not the case. But to have the foundation of, you know, parents who care, who are involved in their kids, it does make a difference. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the most important thing. Like right now, I talk about in, in my uh, for my previous book, Disconnected, the one about screen time, I talk about, you know, the fact that in, in our modern era right now, the average parent spends just three and a half minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their children. What? That's because, of, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I have that cited in the book with, the, you know, the research to support it. Um, three and a half minutes per week. And that's because we're all distracted, mm. including us adults on phones. And I, I talk about like, you know, when I'm, when I'm lecturing, I got to fly out to California tomorrow and do a lecture. And I talk about, um, you know, about how family, when we hear, if we were to go into dictionary, you know, we know what the definition of a family is, right? 
but it's not it's not reminiscent of what the, the actual definition is because families nowadays take a family of four is really more like four individuals living solitary lives under the same roof oh that's sad you know it is sad so we really have to you know any anybody listening right now is in turn we have to understand what family is and that means you know collectively coming together i mean traditionally in our society we you know it was mandatory to have dinner together i know it's more difficult with you know two parents working but we have to carve out you know family time together without any interruptions on a daily basis for at least 15 minutes and then do things together on weekends get our kids outside get ourselves outside um and so and escape you know all, all of this all these distractions all of this noise all of this information all of this screen time mm -hmm. um and getting, I, I, you know, I tell people all the time too, we have to, you know, kids nowadays, Janet, middle school kids and, and high school kids, I deal with a lot of those at my private practice. They spend almost all of their time, the majority of them in their bedrooms by themselves when they are at home. <laughs> and I always say when I'm lecturing that bedroom starts with bed. All right. That's where, that's where our kids should be sleeping. Yes. We got to get our kids out of the bedroom and into the family room, right? Which starts with family. We got to do a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. It's funny because my mom is visiting um, from Canada and my son, Matthew, well, both of them, you know, I do notice obviously that they're on the devices a lot. It's how they socialize with their friends. I think a lot of it really sort of came together during the pandemic, right? It was like a recipe for, you know, the isolation and the only way they communicated was through their devices. But my mom said to me, she's like, I think it's really important to set dinner and meals for the children to come home and be a part of, you know, the experience at the dinner table with you. So even though maybe Matthew is out with his friends having fun outside, why don't you tell him, listen, I want you home at six o'clock so we can all sit down together. And I thought, wow, yes, that is so important. And something like that can turn in something into, you know, that can be a really good starting point. So we, I said, absolutely, let's do that. And I told Matthew that, like, that I want to have you home, you know, at least at dinner, because we all have different schedules. I work this crazy morning shift. I don't get to see them when they wake up. My husband is the one that's home with them. And so I don't get to have that important breakfast time before they go off to school or see them first thing. So the dinner table is the time where we can all connect. You know, I'll tell you this much. My, I have a Matthew too, by the way. My, my son's name is Matthew. Um, I love that name. It means Me too. From God. Yes. Um, and you know, uh, it's interesting because when you look at the statistics, families that have family dinners together most nights of the week, right? Mm -hmm. The children in those families are less likely to engage in drug and alcohol use, are more likely to excel in school, are less likely to engage in early sexual activity. Are, are less likely to develop uh, depression and anxiety and are more likely to be successful adults with a higher earning potential. Wow. And that's just from families being together. So another important thing I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, so you're absolutely 100% right about that, getting together as a family, um, is even car rides to school. You know, schools are, kids go to school 180 days a year. And for parents that drive their kids to school, you know, that five or 10 minute, 10 minute ride, next time look in your rearview mirror, and you will see that if there's a middle school or a high school in that passenger seat, that their head is down and they're glued to their phone. Mm. So I tell parents, establish a rule that there are no phones allowed to be used in the car. Because that five or 10 minute ride where you're actually talking or just being with in the presence of your child 
uh, is maybe, you know, 180 times a year, maybe the most important thing for their mental well-being. Mm. What about devices on the school bus? This is something that my husband and I have talked about when it comes to Matthew. So my youngest, his school is very close to us, but my oldest, his school is about 40 minutes away and he's on the school bus and he has a phone. And he also last year was doing a lot of his homework on the bus. Um, And I just feel like I'm not sure that that's necessarily a good thing either. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you see that on buses, uh, in the in the cafeteria at schools, and even when kids have, you know, a free period, you know, they call it study hall. Yeah. Most of them are on their phones, mm-hmm. and that's a perfect opportunity. You know, that forty two minutes or whatever the period is to tackle some homework and get ahead of it and be proactive. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, you know, the, the big tech and, and all, all the all these things that they that they develop are just much more alluring and much more powerful, right? The best thing, and this is very ambitious, right? Like, this is very ambitious on my end. But if I if I was in charge of a school district, I wouldn't allow phones to come into the school at all mm. because of all these. I wouldn't allow it. Um, but the reason why schools balk at that is because the the parents, you know, the, they become the umbilical cord for the parent. What if there's an emergency? Blah 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 blah. Well, what if there was an emergency twenty years ago? You know what I mean? Yeah, the school would call you. Um, but I'd have you know some of the talks I've done throughout the country when I when I discussed that they're. Have been a couple of administrators that took took that seriously and met with the, with their board of education and established a policy that in their school cell phones were not allowed to be at that school. And I understand they're being used now in classrooms, but find an alternative way because all they are is a distraction. They they uh, sever the you know the social interaction on the bus in the cafeteria and so forth. And that social and emotional development through communication and connecting with kids and having conversations is hugely important for them. Yeah, I wish we had flip phones now. You know, we've actually talked about that. My husband and I like, okay, if he needs to contact us, then he has a flip phone and he can actually physically call us, you know, instead of the texting. You know, my youngest son, Theodore, went to camp for two weeks uh, this past summer. He had never gone to a sleepover with any of his friends. And for two weeks, he was away and they took their phones, Tom. And I will tell you, it was tough. It was tough for me because I I did not have that umbilical cord and I had to kind of rely on, you know, I had one of the counselors names. I certainly had one of the women that was in charge of the camp, but she said that's the way the camp was designed, that if they did bring their phones, the phones were taken away as soon as they walked onto the campgrounds. It was like it was the 1950s. And my child, when I picked him up, I he something changed and he admitted that that he had a great time you know he said two weeks was perfect because he did want to come home but he found that for the first couple of days it was difficult and then when he would wake up in the morning he didn't think about it he thought about going to breakfast and what the day's events are and who his new friends were going you know that he was going to meet that day and i just thought wow you know what a wonderful thing for not only him but for us for the parents to realize that you know we can blame them for being on the devices but we're also very guilty of being able to always be in touch with them yeah, you know, I'm glad. I'm really glad you brought that up because um, over the years, you know, here at my, I deal with a lot of teenagers here at my private practice, right? And a bunch of them will go to sleepaway camp for seven weeks. And and I ask them this question when they come back, because then September comes, and they start coming back to see me to help them with different things. 
And so many of them, I've asked this question. I've asked, you know, what was the best part about summer camp? And almost all of them said not having my phone, mm. right? Even though they didn't, you know, initially when they were going there, they, they couldn't fathom not having it. So what that tells me as a professional is that these kids intrinsically crave relationship, connection, human connection, and didn't even realize it. Because mm. that's what they experienced was sitting, you know, in their in their cabin, having conversations, telling stories, instead of being distracted. And that's how we're that's how human beings are wired through evolution. That's what we are. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. So what do we do? What are the steps we take? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, again, um, you know, step number one. First number, you know, tip for parents is that we have to practice what we preach. Anybody right now that has a 13 or 14 year old, there's a fight on a daily basis about the video game, phone and so forth. Um, so what, what we need to do is practice what we preach. And that means, you know, doing the best we can to power off our own things when our kids are, are around. Number two is just about every kid I deal with is allowed to have their phone in their bedroom with them at night when they go to sleep. Um, and I used to work at a high school and the final year I was there, I did a survey with about a hundred kids that trusted me over the course of that school year. And I asked them, these were high school kids. And, and I said, listen, this isn't going to go anywhere. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody. This is just for my own data. And I asked them, I said, what time do you go to sleep at night on, on school nights? And, and 90 something out of those hundred kids told me that they went to sleep between one and 4 AM and that their parents didn't even know it. Oh my God. Right? So now we have a sleep deprivation epidemic. Mm. So we, you know, parents, we have to get those phones. We have to establish a rule. Like my daughter is 16. That phone comes downstairs and stays downstairs. It doesn't go in, be in bed with her at night. Those two things are hugely important. And another thing we have to realize is that, you know, technology in and of itself isn't a bad thing, right? It's got a lot of great attributes. A glass of wine with dinner isn't a bad thing. Nine glasses of wine with dinner seven nights a week is now a bad thing. And that's where we're at. Kids are spending about nine hours a day. And, you know, when you're just when you're in cyberspace, you're in a different world and you're not in this world. And we, we just have to really focus on getting our kids into this world, getting them outside, having dinner with them, like you mentioned, you know, uh, not allowing, you know, the phones on during, during um, you know, commutes to school when we drive them. All of those things, the little things really add up. Is it hard to become disconnected? Is it, you know, how, what's the process? What's the five steps? Yeah, well, here's the deal, right? So, you know, with video games, you know, gaming, there's something called gaming disorder now. It's actually a diagnosable condition. Uh, and the phones, we're, we're sort of up against a big giant because they are designed to be addictive because they target the, the pleasure-seeking part of the brain that produces dopamine, right? So dopamine is the feel-good chemical that's associated with every addiction, whether it's drugs, gambling, you name it. Uh, and our kids are getting a never ending drip of dopamine. And the problem is once we you know, say, all right, that's it. I'm taking the Xbox away for today or the phone. They have a withdrawal. They they have a complete withdrawal that manifests itself physically, verbally, you know, uh, oppositionally. Um, and it takes about 30 days for that rebalance to occur with that when they're not going to have that crash and that withdrawal it's yeah. called homeostasis balance. So what we need to do is I I know it's a it's a it's a it's asking a lot I get it, but if somehow we can manage to get our kids you know to do a thirty day fast your son did one for fourteen days and you can see the results um, you're gonna see a, you're, you're gonna see something different in your kid a kid that is less anxious right in a better mood sort of just lighting up the room 
instead of being sort of drained. Mm-hmm. So as parents, you know, I think there is still sort of a stigma like, oh, my gosh, I can't, you know, tell anyone that I'm trying to find a therapist for my children. My children have both spoken to therapists in their lives, lives, and it has helped them enormously. I'm a big uh, believer in therapy. Uh, you know, as soon, as soon as I moved to New York, uh, I found myself a therapist and, you know, have been in therapy for probably 20 years now. Um, when my kids went through a tremendous loss during the pandemic. We lost both of their grandparents in a very short period of time. And I was seeing how the, you know, the the isolation was impacting them. My youngest could not do the Zooms over school year, the school year with, with the com- competition of kids trying to get the teacher's attention. He would have anxiety and breakdowns. And so it was important for me to find somebody for them to talk to. Um, and I think parents are might be still ashamed of trying to do that for their kids, but I think it's so healthy and should be embraced. Oh, 100%. And, you know, as a therapist, I always tell people, like, people think it's, you know, oh, oh people have problems. <clears throat> I've never in 25 years looked at it like that when somebody comes to my office. I look at the person when they walk in as, some, as we're going to find solutions. Mm. So whatever you consider to be, you know, an issue or a problem, and, and, like, it's just that you haven't found the solution to that, right? And we're going to explore that. Um now, as far as the parent component, talking to our kids, you know, and anybody listening right now that that has kids, what we might not realize is that we don't really talk with our kids. We talk at our kids. Mm. So we're really being do this. Make sure you do that. Da, 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 right now, if we could be proactive, right, communicators with our kids and say and, and just have, you know, just start a conversation not about what you're doing wrong or you didn't you know make your bed. You didn't take out the garbage. You forgot to do your homework because our kids feel like they're being like kind of bombarded when they're around their parents. Right. They're being sort of attacked. So that's why it's very refreshing when they go to a neutral person, a therapist, for example, because it's an outlet for them. Right. And they're not being they don't feel that they're being attacked like they like they perceive they are from their parents and the parents don't aren't really attacking them. It's just how they perceive it. So, yes, having that outlet, you know, I get kids in here. They uh, oftentimes, Janice, like you know, parents will say, I don't know how I'm going to get my son there. He's fighting it. Uh, or my daughter. And I'm like, just get them here. Just get them here to agree to one session. I'll take care of the rest. Mm. And I think in my 25-year career, I've never had a kid that didn't say, I can't wait to come back next week. Mm. And it's just about establishing that connection, you know, that rapport. Um, And then from there, you know, you could really, really help people, you know, just reframe their outlook on things, right? And start, you know, being, you know, being proactive in their day-to-day doings, right? Using mindfulness. I can go on for a long time about that, but yeah, you're right. Uh, th- the therapy is it's always had that you know stereotype it's you know really empowering thing for many people tell me about mindfulness what does that mean for you so nietzsche the famous philosopher had a quote he uh and he said uh we're under the presumption that we're thinking but in reality we are being thought and what he meant by being by being thought is that we're being controlled by thought and we don't even know it and that's the subconscious part of the mind we have 60 that it's estimated that we have about sixty thousand thoughts per day and about 95% of those thoughts are subconscious, which is just the wandering mind, the daydreaming mind. Mindfulness is taking a breath of air. Like, take a breath of air right now. All right, the difference between that breath of air that you just took and the previous 10,000 you took is that in order to take that breath of air, you, you did it intentionally, which means you have to be conscious. You have to be present. So the more we get into this present state, okay, and, and we work hard at that, we're now in control of our thoughts. We get to choose what we want to think of 
instead of our subconscious doing it for us. So all of that, uh, for the most part, we call it stinking thinking, that orbiting, you know, a lot of negative fear, worry, doubt that's occurring subconsciously, wanderingly, and we don't even know what's happening. So every time we go to the breath, we're now present. And I could say, you know what? I could pause. I could scan myself. You know what? I am grateful for A, B, C, or D, right? And I tell people that come in here, kids and stuff that have certain, you know, problems or whatever, you know, whatever their perception is, uh, is a problem. I, I say to them often, I say, what, you know, your particular problem that you have, you got to, you know, you got to see, right? <laughs> in chemistry, um, 99% of the people in the, in the rest of the planet would do anything to have the opportunity to have this problem of yours. Hmm. So it's really how we reframe it. You know, like a real problem is we're on right now. I'm looking out my office window and there's a 747 coming at my office window. That's the problem, right? And sure, so it's really just about how we reframe it, how we look at things and how we kind of return, you know, to our present self. Mindfulness can be very spiritual as well. You know, it's sort of like like the iceberg, right? When we are, when we delve within ourselves, when we are present and we, we close our eyes and meditate, you know, the, that's uh, coming from the inside out, the, the rest of the iceberg, the bottom of it, the surface. That's where everything is within us. All of our tools, all of our, you know, our confidence, motivations, joys are all within us. And there's an old expression, happiness is never an outside in thing and only an inside out thing. Hmm. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. What do you think the most dangerous thing is that our kids face these days? I think the... Um, Social media. Really? Yeah. And the reason and the reason being is, you know, this brain of ours is so malleable. Um, and, you know, these big tech companies, you know, you look at TikTok and all these companies, you know, the algorithms are so powerful, um, you know, that these very vulnerable developing brains of our kids, it doesn't know any better. And they're getting bombarded. You know, you see all these girls developing eating disorders because they put something on, on TikTok about eating disorders. Next thing you know, they're getting bombarded with, you know, with those kind of videos. So, you know, so essentially, I, I talked about that expression, you know, we're under the presumption that we're thinking, but in reality, we're being thought. That's another example of being thought. Your thoughts are being controlled for you, right? Well, because this information is bypassing the conscious critical mind through social media, and it secures itself in the uncritical subconscious. And our kids are responding to this. They're developing beliefs about this. They're developing eating disorders. There's a story about girls that develop those ticks. You know, from watching people with uh, on, on, on TikTok that have Tourette's syndrome. Mm -hmm. So it goes to show you just how that mind is. So, you know, I have a chapter in my new book called Mental Freedom. And it's all about exactly what we just talked about, about being outside, you know, unplugging ourselves as much as we can and being present with ourselves and getting to know self. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most vulnerable age for a kid where, you know, the, the, their mind is the most uh, susceptible to that kind of danger? Oh, adolescence. No question about it. So adolescence, I call it the purgatory stage of development. So it's this sort of limbo. You're no longer a child, but you're also not an adult yet. Mm. So with adolescence comes a lot. And it's always been this way. It's the way it's supposed to be. Comes insecurities. You're changing hormonally, right? You're going through puberty. And more importantly, you're trying to figure out where you fit in in the social pecking order. So it's always been a difficult stage, but for the most part, historically, kids transition out of that and they become, you know, fine young men and women. But now you layer in this comparison culture during that critical stage of development. You know, you get to see everybody's highlight reel in your class about how they did at the soccer game, how they did in geometry and this and that. And it just now adds more and more layers you know, of that insecurity and, and kids start to question themselves, you know, during that stage of development. 
Um, and it often, the mindset is often, wow, everybody else's life is is so perfect. My life really stinks. And it's not what, the, it's not what reality is. Mm-hmm. And so I would assume that you are somebody that recommends looking at the screen time on our children's phones. A hundred percent. You know, like uh, we have, you know, a lot of parents, you know, say they feel like um, it's a violation of our kids' trust, right? Now, one thing that always stood out to me, my dad, a very, very Catholic spiritual man, um, you know, he said when we were kids, when we would say to him, you know, oh, why don't you trust me? He would say, God didn't give you to me for me to trust you. He gave you to me for you to trust me. Hmm. So I do believe in, you know, certainly looking at our kids' phones, looking in their drawers. Um, we need to know what they're doing. You're right. Yeah. I mean, and I, I do. I tell Matthew, today I'm looking at your phone. Today I'm looking at your messages. Um, because the other thing that I worry about is, and something I've told my oldest and my youngest, is that everything that you text is electronic. So if you put something out there um, that is, you know, n- not great uh, and can be used against you at some point by someone or, um, you know, a teacher in school. That's something that, you know, can ruin your life. One little text um, can do so much damage and it's hard to get that through their heads. I don't know that it, you know, until you go through something where you do get in trouble for something that you wrote. um, That is like this whole new area that I don't think parents realize is we have to, you know, make sure that they know that everything they write can be used against them. Yeah, that's, you know, they have to have, you know, a a positive digital footprint, everything, Mm. you know, a kid could send, you know, a text message to his friend, you know, in in a joking manner, right? Yep. Um, But some would be perceived as uh, whatever racist, let's say, right? Um, And that kid now sends that out, right? What's going to happen? You know, now your kid's going to be bl- canceled and and, and cons- called something that they're really not. Maybe they were just joking with their friend. So that's important for sure, Janice, is, is uh, you know, having those conversations with our kids, letting them know that whatever you put out there on whatever it's Snapchat, Instagram, text messages, it never goes away. And all it takes is just one person. I remember I did a, I did a segment on you know, I've been on Fox and Friends a million times and, all you know, Jesse and all those shows. But I did a segment about 10 years ago um, and somebody you know, took this segment and, and like rigged it and then tried to dox me, put it out there. and was calling me a racist. Oh, I know. It's so yeah. tough. I feel like it's an upward battle. I feel bad for them because we we still don't quite know. Right. We're into this new, relatively new territory of social media and um, relationships built on texts instead of face to face. And I don't know that we know the scope of what we're creating by this. Yeah, well, you look at, you know, you go back to 2012, right, which is when smartphones became mainstream. So when you look at the the graphs and the data, um, Jean Twenge, who I've done some lectures with over the years, she's really well known for her. She's a professor and a researcher at a San Diego State University. But she collected, she has a lot of stuff. She's a research psychologist and, she, you know, they go to her for a lot of stuff. Um, but when you look at 2012, the mental health epidemic among our kids began right right then and there like like a skyrocket right and then covid you know so people will say oh covid caused the mental health epidemic it didn't cause it it accelerated it mm. um and that's when it really began was in 2012 so the data is really there right it's it's already there and we 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 know you know what the implications are presently 
Um, and we know that if we don't do anything about it, then, you know, the consequences of that are going to be dire for our kids. Um, fortunately, there are those that can escape it, you know, to go to therapy and so forth. But we, don't, we, we want to protect them from even going down that avenue as best we can. But we're, again, we're up against, you know, a whole new world, you know, and big tech, you know, they get away with murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. What are some red flags that parents need to look out for when it comes to, you know, the well-being of their kids? Yeah. So if you see, you know, just a change in your child's personality, if they were, you know, cheerful and like to come hang out with mom and dad, all of a sudden they're not, you know, they're like, or they're very suddenly getting short or even aggressive or even depressed and stuff like that. Or if their grades start to slip or if they start, you know, hanging out with a whole new friend group, you know, that's, you're not too, you know, you're a little, you know, questionable about, you know, those are the red flags. Those specific things right there are the lack, they start losing interest in activities and sports that they used to do. And that's going to be one of two things, either marijuana or, uh, mm. you know, just be, being completely into games or, or and social media. Mm. I worry about that, too. The marijuana crisis. I mean, it's it's all around us now. Yeah, I have it in, in, in Raising Healthy Teenagers, my latest book, I have a whole chapter about substance abuse. And, you know, people don't realize that marijuana, I deal with, with a lot of that here at my office. Um you know, since it's became legalized, which I'm not an advocate for, obviously, you know, that has now sent the message to kids. Hey, it's legal. It must be harmless. Right. What people don't realize is that um, the, the THC in marijuana in the 1990s was three to five percent. It's now up to 80 or 90 percent. That's the active ingredient that makes you high. And what we're seeing now, a couple of different things, uh, one of which is called cannabis induced psychosis. So there are more in which which is an individual that has developed paranoia, mania, uh delusions or hallucinations right from smoking marijuana and they can't see it but they're they they have that there's more people now on a daily basis reporting reporting to hospital emergency rooms for cannabis induced psychotic episodes than for any other drug but nobody but the, they, the our politicians don't want you to know that right because they're making a fortune on the legalization of it um and you know kids when they get you know when they start doing that stuff it just creates i see it all the time just a vicious vicious cycle where it's suddenly now you know, they start recreationally, then all of a sudden they start feeling anxious. They start falling behind. What do you do? Smoke more marijuana. It's like rinse, repeat, you know, rinse, dry, repeat. And they get stuck. And you got these young 20-something-year-old guys, you know, that are just, I call them the lost boys, um, that are, you know, living in mom and dad's house and sleeping till 2 o'clock, playing video games all day and smoking marijuana. And it's just this vicious, vicious cycle. So I always tell parents, you know, you know, have zero tolerance. You know, my daughter is 16 and I told her if I ever catch her with marijuana, she's no longer, uh, I told her you're not allowed to live in my house anymore. Wow. I don't really mean that. Yep. I don't really, I mean, but I want her to think that. No, listen, you have to, you have to talk to them, them. And we do that with our kids. We try to, you know, be as cool about it as we can. Um, But at the same time, you know, saying to them, this behavior is unacceptable, but we also don't want to scare them so much that they can't come to us when they're in trouble. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. We want. Yeah, exactly. We have to, you know, there's different types of parenting. You know, there's authoritarian where you're like Hitler. Right. <laughs> and then authoritative, which is your kids are allowed to have a voice. OK, mm-hmm. um, but there are rules, you know. I'm in charge. You can have a voice, but I'm in charge. I'm going to listen to you. Uh, and that's the best type of parenting is is, is authoritative. Um, you know, and then there's pass, passive parenting. We just let your kid do whatever they want. That's no good. And then absent parenting, we're just never there. 
Mm. So right in the middle there, you know, want you pay our kids, I believe, have to fear us. <laughs> yes. Uh, but also have to feel comfortable, you know, coming to us. So we have to find that balance there. And of course, you have to have plenty of love in that, in that uh, you know, that they have to respect us. Absolutely. There's no handbook, but you've done a pretty good job with your books, Tom. Um, yeah. t- tell me about the latest well, one that's out there. It's called, it came out in February. It's called Raising Healthy Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life. So it pretty much just explores all of the landmines that our kids are confronted with every day from substance abuse to behavior and conduct issues uh, to fear, you know, constant fear mongering and all the anxiety that comes with that, you know, lack of, I have a chapter called social nutrition, um, you know, because there's a lack of, of actual socialization. Then I talk about mental freedom. I talk about schools and what's going on in schools nowadays. And of course, college, you know, um, all this pressure that kids have to go into, you know, to some quote elite college and then assume hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and come out of there with a, you know, a useless piece of paper. Um, you know, so I really, it's just really helping parents understand all that and providing them with, you know, all the tips and strategies that are necessary to make sure our kids don't get sucked into this, you know, conformity and everything else and just, you know, live the lives that we, you know, with that we parent them to live. Mm-hmm. And what do you recommend if parents are looking for a therapist or someone their kids can talk to? Yeah. So, you know, it depends, you know, it could be expensive. Um, you know, so you could, A, you know, talk to somebody, you know, that, you know, if you have a friend that whose, whose kid goes to therapy, you know, get some referrals, right? Um, and if the, if that therapist is not in, in your insurance network and you can't afford to pay out of pocket, you call your insurance company and mm-hmm. ask them to provide you with a list of providers. Uh, and another good resource is psychologytoday.com. So no matter where you live, you can if you go to psychologytoday.com, uh, there's a section called Find a Therapist. And you click on that, you'll see dozens, maybe hundreds in your area. And, they, and with their profiles, their experience, they can really explore all that. Um, and then hopefully, and most important of all though, Janice, is if you or your kid, all right, if they go to a therapist and they don't and they don't make a connection during that first visit, don't go back. Hmm. It's not that it's not necessarily anybody's fault, but if you if there's no connection after that first visit, there's never going to be a connection. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Um, do you have a website that people can go to? Yeah, it's uh, www.tomkirsting.com. Okay, that's easy. That's good to know. And listen, uh, you've been a good friend of mine. You've always given me great advice. Um, you know, I appreciate your time. You, are you an optimistic person? Are we going to like, you know, save the world? Yeah, I. You know, I'm always honestly like you. You know, uh, you remind me of myself in that way. I'm always optimistic. I'm always looking at the glass half full. Um, and it starts really, you know, one parent at a time. You know, and like that's why. You know, that's why I do what I do. I write these books. I go on TV and I go out and lecture all over the country because, you know, there's so much information. You know, we just scratched the surface here today that parents really don't really know about. Mm. And it's just because they, you know, it's just you don't you don't know what you don't know. I don't know accounting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and when they hear this information, it's it's yeah, it's, it could be a little frightening, but it's very empowering. You know, and it's that's my job. That's like I'm a I'm a disciple. I have to go out there and do this stuff and speak and and really you know, get communities and parents and kids to start, you know, really becoming empowered instead of disempowered. And we're their best advocates, right? I mean, if you if you don't like what's going on in your school, you know, don't be afraid to fire off that email or pick up the phone. 
we have to yeah you know we we have to we have to be there and you know like mike you know like you my kids are i'm, I'm doing everything i can for them you know number one they're they're number one i'm not going to enable them i'm sure you know we do at times i mean yeah but for the most part yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna step in for them and and protect them and guide them and lead them. That's what my job is. That's what our jobs are. Mm-hmm. Well, good conversation, my friend, to be continued. Uh, and, you know, m- much success with your books. I appreciate your expertise. And, um, you know, have a have a wonderful day at the office. Well, thanks. I'll see you in the green room soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, Tom. All right. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You got it, Take Tom. Care. Good conversation. Thank you again to Tom Kirsting for this critical discussion on how we can get more involved in our kids' lives. It's really easy to just kind of let them go off and be on their phones and iPads because we have such busy lives ourselves. But it's so important to keep tabs on what they are watching and who they are connecting with. Tom has several books out to help us navigate this highly addictive electronic world, and I highly recommend all of them, including Disconnected, How to Protect Your Kids from Harmful Effects of Device Dependency, and his latest book, Raising Healthy Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life. If you'd like to find out more about Tom and his amazing work, you can visit his website at tomkirsting.com. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janistine on Twitter or Janistine FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.